Thanks for making us part of your holiday weekend. It's Dickerson and Hood, along with Alyssa Lang from the SEC Network. It's ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Don't forget, tomorrow night is our first episode, our first series of the Lance Armstrong 30 for 30, entitled Lance. That is 9 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN. That's the uh, uncensored version, and the censored version will be on ESPN2 to talk about Lance Armstrong. It's our pleasure now to welcome in Jonathan Vauders. He is the CEO of EF Cycling, a professional cyclist. He joins us here on ESPN Radio. Jonathan, thank you so much for giving us some time on this weekend. I hope you and your family uh, have been safe. Um, Just tell us, you know, what was your relationship like with Lance Armstrong during your career? Oh, man, that's uh, that's a complicated question. Uh, I mean, it, you know, I, I mean, I grew up with the guy partially like we we I, I did the first race he ever did, which was when I was 15 and he was in bike race. That is he was in triathlon before that. I was 15. He was 17. Um, you know, we were teammates for a short while. Um, we were friends at a certain point. We were not friends at other points. Um, it's kind of gone through various various stages Jonathan how much did Lance mean to cycling based on the level of success he attained well you know that's that's an interesting question you know there there are other cyclists that won a lot more races than Lance did but the difference was is that you know at least from our perspective Lance was one he was American and the big thing was is that he was coming back from cancer and so, you know, where you had a, you have, you have other riders, uh, like Eddie Merckx, who's a, a Belgian rider from a generation before Lance, who, you know, people would say, yeah, but Eddie Merckx won a lot more races, but Eddie Merckx was never the international, uh, figure that Lance was because his story was, you know, strictly a professional cycling story. It wasn't a sort of worldwide iconic coming back from cancer, achieving the impossible kind of story. Jonathan, you're obviously still very involved with the cycling community. We're all looking forward to seeing what this documentary looks like as far as detailing the story of Lance's career. What would you say is the relationship between the cycling community right now and Lance as it stands? Uh, I mean, honestly, there's not the the professional racing community. There's just not a relationship. Um, I mean, Lance really hasn't been part of that world for almost a decade. Um, with the broader cycling community, I mean, of course, a lot of his fans and ex-fans and I mean, he, he's still, uh, you know, a, a part of the history of American cycling. And a lot of people listen to his podcast and a lot of people listen to his insight regarding the Tour de France. And there are a lot of people that that really like that. And there are a lot of people that really resent the fact that he even has a has a platform to you know, to talk about the Tour de France. Um, so, yeah, that's, again, super complicated. You know, the second audience as a whole, it's a really sort of split down the middle. Some people love his insight and what he has to say. Other people don't think that he should, you know, even be allowed to talk about it. Jonathan Vauder is the CEO of EF Cycling, is our guest on Dickerson and Hood with Alyssa Lang on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. I assume, Jonathan, not having seen yet any advanced screening of, of Lance, I'm assuming a big chunk of it will be devoted to the performance-enhancing drug aspect of that. You know, from your vantage point, you, you know, you know, what was the pressure like 
uh, on a cyclist, you know, during that era to take performance enhancing drugs? How much pressure did, did people feel in that time? Well, I think you got to look at what professional cycling is, right? What the Tour de France is. I mean, the Tour de France is three weeks every day, racing over a hundred miles every day, racing at an average of, you know, around 28, 20 miles, nine miles an hour every day over mountains in rain and snow. We, we don't do rain cancellations, snow cancellations, hail cancellations, anything else in professional cycling. Like you get out there, you get it done. Professional cycling on TV. And I think to a broader or to a lot of people in the audience, it looks like, Oh, it's, you know, it's a, it's a lot of really fit guys in color, uni- colorful uniforms going around, you know, the French countryside. Inside that peloton, you're at war with the other teams and the other riders. It is a very cutthroat sport. Um, it's a very harsh sport, and it's an extremely high-performance sport, meaning when I say high-performance, if you look at the first-place rider to the last-place rider in the Tour de France, that's 100 hours of racing, and the difference from first to last is about two hours, which means the difference from first to last is less than 2%. So the margins between, you can imagine the margins between first and second and first and third and first and fifth, the margins are incredibly small. Um, It's like Formula One car racing for human beings. The, The body is pushed to its absolute maximum. So any small advantage that can be had, whether it's equipment, whether it's nutrition, whether it's training, whether it's tactics, whether it's strategy, and then you get into whether it's doping, those are always going to be very tempting for any athlete to try to deal with a, a an event that is so incredibly harsh and so incredibly hard and that pushes the human body to its utmost limit like the Tour de France. But, John, when you see athletes at the top of their game, initially you believe that what you're seeing is pure. So when you see Lance Armstrong, especially in that era, do you believe that he could have been great without doping? Oh, I mean, he was an immensely talented athlete. Um, I, you know, I started racing with him when I was 15, well before, you know, when he was doping. Um, you know, yeah, he was he was incredibly strong. Um, you know, it... It's a hard thing to say because, um, I mean, what you first said when you said when you watch a competition, you want to believe what you're watching is real and what you're watching is fair. That's exactly right. If if we aren't watching competitions that are real and fair, I mean, the whole point of watching competitions, we're trying to find out who's the best. So if all of a sudden doping enters the equation, it all it scrambles the whole picture, and you and you don't know who's the best anymore, which is why as a society, we get so upset about this. And you know what? We should. Because even if all the guys, even if everyone is on the exact same drug at the exact same amount in the entire race, some guys, I mean, it's just like, you know, if you, if you wake up with a hangover and you take two aspirin with one guy, the hangover goes away with another guy that you take two aspirin and the hangover doesn't, doesn't go away at all. Drugs affect different people, different ways. So even if everyone's taking the same drug, doesn't mean that the result of the race would be exactly the same. And I actually really hate that argument when people say, yeah, but everyone was doing it, so it was fair. No, it wasn't fair at all. Um, but on the flip side of it, if, if you said to me, okay, but, you know, if, if nobody was doping and Lance wasn't doping as well, would he have been an incredible rider? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if he would have won seven Tour de France. I can't say because actually nobody can say because we have, we have no idea how – that particular drug changed all those races. We don't know. Um, but he would have been 
you know, he would have been very good for sure. Jonathan, I see in your Twitter bio, besides aggravating people with no sense of humor, you said you dedicated your life to professional cycling and anti-doping. What's your personal experience been with doping as you were involved more closely with professional cycling that has kind of led you into dedicating your life to that? Well, you know, my last few years as a professional rider, I just I hit a real rock, meaning, um, you know, I knew you couldn't be competitive without it and so i kept trying to you know it's like i would because i did dope in my career and i would try to stop and then i would go from being you know really good to very mediocre and you know you hit one of these points where you just say well i don't want to be mediocre but i don't want to dope and i had a newborn son at the time and so i said okay well i'm not going to be mediocre and i'm not going to dope so i need to walk away from the sport and then five or six years later I realized, geez, you know, every single one of these young American kids that is coming up with the dream of being the next Lance Armstrong um, and is racing now as a 15 or 16 or 17 year old, they're all going to hit that same point as well. And so I started in, you know, 2006, 2007, which is a really hard point in cycling, trying to sort of change the paradigm and change the way things were done into, into more than anything else, really help uh, USADA, the U.S. Anti-Doping Association, and WADA, the World Anti-Doping Association, give them insight and information and in how to improve their testing so that we could get it to the point where basically those 15- and 16-year-old kids, when they got to the point where they could be pros, they weren't going to have to hit the same point I did where they had to choose between being mediocre and doping. We're talking to the CEO of EF Cycling, Jonathan Vauders, on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. So, Jonathan, compared to... You know, Lance's era, uh, when a lot of people were doping, how has cycling changed since he left? I mean, it's 180 degrees different. You know, it's, it's, I mean, I mean, it's amazing the world has changed. You know, the testing has gotten better. Um, the, it, I mean, everything that enforces anti-doping, which was basically kind of non-existent in the beginning of my career, now guys come in and, and it's very hard. It's, it's very scientific. The anti-doping is very on top of these writers which is incredible. But more than that, you've got a whole generation of guys that grew up as, you know, 10 year olds or 12 year olds and watched Lance Armstrong's life implode underneath him. And that has changed the cultural part of the sport. Those, those guys look at that and go, man, that was a mess. All of those guys, meaning all those guys, meaning me, those guys, you know, a lot of us have had really rough lives after that whole um, era of racing. And, the guys now are, you know, these kids, they just, they have a different attitude about it. They're more socially responsible. They're maybe, I mean, the racing is still fast and cutthroat, but I mean, uh, the best way I can put it is they're a little bit nicer guys than we were. John, we all grow older, we get family, we maybe grow apart. Is there, can you pinpoint maybe a disconnect that you had with Lance, maybe your biggest disconnect between you two? Well, I think at that point where I decided to, to, you know, to walk away and say, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with the doping issues. At that point, I wasn't saying I was morally above it because I'd done it. I just didn't want to deal with it anymore. You know, that, that's a point where Lance wouldn't have made that decision. I mean, Lance, Lance is like, no, you, you know, you go out there and you get your job done for your sponsors and you know, that's what you're paid to do. And you can't just walk away. Um, 
I think when I started becoming more vocal about that, even though it wasn't a, it wasn't focused on him, it was focused on the sport as a whole. I don't think he liked that very much. And then definitely when I started becoming cooperative with the U.S. Anti-Doping Association, I think he really didn't like that. So those those uh, fractures are you know be very hard to repair them. If you plan to watch the Lance documentary, what would you say you look forward to or what interests you the most about watching that? Well, interestingly, it's, it's maybe not as much about doping as you guys might think and, and the sport of cycling. It's, it really focuses on Lance's personality. And mm-hmm. uh, to me, you know, it's rough to watch because um, you realize that you know he he's um the the reason that he sort of really fell so hard is you know kind of the way he was brought up and his childhood and his stepfather and and um you know you you feel maybe more more sympathy for how rough things were for him and i mean he doesn't do himself any favors in the film i can say that i mean like nobody actually really indicts lance armstrong in the entire documentary except lance armstrong he does a great job of of showing that he's a you know an interesting personality um but for me i kind of just feel like oh man he's really he's really struggling with life yeah i'll let you go with this jonathan jonathan vaughters on the moment here on espn radio and the espn app i mean for me i mean look i you you made the choice to dope because you laid it out i mean you went from being really good to to being kind of mediocre you've got a young son you've got a family i mean people make decisions that they later regret. But I think the hard thing that at least I have with Lance Armstrong is it wasn't that he just doped. It's that he literally tried to ruin the lives of people that would he thought would blow the whistle on him. I mean, do people in the cycling community, if, if you don't like Lance, is it more because of the way he doped or, or the way that he personally just seemed to go after a lot of people that he thought could expose him? Well, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, that that's, that's the fundamental reason that eventually I came clean about Lance and, and that a lot of people did is that it's, it's not, it was like, there were a lot of people that doped in that era. Um, like I said, myself included, but none of us have the level of animosity directed at us that Lance is. And I think he views that as very unfair, but the reality of it is, is that he hurt a lot of people along the way. And even that he won't admit to, he'll say, no, no, I didn't really hurt him. And, it's when you're a person in an incredibly powerful position in the sport, it's very easy to squash someone's career. You only have to say one or two little things. You only have to, you know, kind of wink and nudge and nod a little bit. And there was a lot of that. And, um, you know, that that's you hit the nail on the head. Like, it's the, there were a lot of guys that doped, and, and a lot of those guys are welcomed back into the sport because they served their time. They were good people. They made a lot of friends in the sport. You know, they they didn't try to ruin anyone's life. Lance did a lot of that kind of thing, and, and so he isn't welcome back. Well, Jonathan, thank you for being so candid with us. Thank you for giving us your expertise and your perspective. All the best to you, my friend, and your family moving forward, okay? Thank you very much. Jonathan Vaughters, the CEO of EF Cycling, joining us on ESPN Radio. Lance Part 1 is tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN and ESPN2. It's time now for a Sports Center update here on ESPN Radio. Hmm. And Kalen Newton is going to follow his uh, older brother, Cam, to play football at Auburn. Remember, Cam 
won the Heisman Trophy and led Auburn to a national championship in 2010. Kalen announced on Friday he'll be heading to Auburn as a graduate transfer. And the NBA has entered into exploratory conversations with the Walt Disney Company about resuming its season at Disney's ESPN Wide World of Sports Complex in Orlando, Florida. In late July, NBA spokesperson Mike Bass said on Saturday. 